uh, Eric Thorlander personally asked me not to enter the competition. He told me that he needed the money more than I do. So I am not in the bodybuilding competition today. I'm here with you guys. I don't have time to do any of my famous poses. We'll just... Uh, I call this the flopping duck. That's true. That's true. I excel at that. Anyway, are you ready? This is uh, jumping off from John's sermon last week, which I thought was fantastic. Really great. You should listen to it. Last week he taught us about uh, what it is to be a friend of God. And in part, he defined friendship with God as open, honest, and vulnerable. Uh, Jesus said, I I don't call you um, servants, I call you friends, because I'm telling you what the Father's doing. I'm telling you the Father's heart. He's revealing himself, he's revealing the Father to a group of people that were followers, but they weren't yet friends. And the difference between the follower and the friend is intimacy. And the heart of intimacy is transparency, vulnerability, and honesty. And those three things, transparency, vulnerability, and honesty, honesty define and describe what a deep friendship really is. They're the foundations of any Christian relationship, any Christian friendship. Here's a thought. If that's so true, is this true? You cannot love someone you do not know. Can you love, seriously now, can you love someone you do not know? I'm just asking you a question here. Look, we, I was brought up in a Christian home and our church was very mission-centered. And they always had us pray for the missionaries around the world. And good kids, we did what we were told. And and I tried in my prayer time as a small child to muster up passionate prayers for the missionaries in Africa. Those prayers dribbled off my mouth. But when one of them came and did a presentation, it was really cool. I had the little curios, like the the little, little baby alligators, and you had like blow darts and stuff. It was the coolest thing for a little kid like me. Man, I thought I want to be one of those guys. And when, when he was nice to me after the service and showed me his stuff and explained some of these things on the table, I was a little kid. I can still remember that moment. I prayed with passion for that guy, you see. Because now I had some sense of who he was. So when I'm praying for the missionaries in Africa, I'm praying for him. See, can you really love someone you don't know? We've got a word for the feeling that happens after you think you've gotten to know someone only to find out they were faking their thoughts and feelings and reactions to you. We call it disillusioned. I was disillusioned. It's both a feeling and it's a fact. The fact is you were deceived. You were given an illusion of who that person was and you found out it was false. And the feeling that comes after disillusionment is feeling abused and tricked and violated. And that destroys a relationship. Nothing destroys a relationship faster than dishonesty. 
You see, you can put up with a lot, but when you no longer believe the person is telling you the truth, the relationship is over. Even when you're hearing what you want to hear, how about this? I'm sorry. I, 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 it'll never happen again. I love you. See, when you hear those words and you don't believe them, it is better they had not been spoken. Think about it. In the world of relationships, a pleasant lie is more destructive than an unpleasant truth. Isn't that interesting? Better to hear an unpleasant truth than a pleasant lie and find out that it wasn't true. See, dishonesty isn't merely dangerous to a relationship, it's the opposite of a relationship because relationships that are real are founded on honesty. So here's a good application question right now. What stands in the way of deep, honest friendships? And that's three kinds of friendships. And I know this is going to sound a little weird, but the first friendship is my friendship with myself. Am I my own friend? Am I real with myself about what I'm going through? Or are the things, the things that are so, so serious to me, so difficult, so hard, that I, I don't want to even talk to myself about them? And then, of course, am I honest and real with God? Or are the things I just assume not talk about with Him? And, of course, that leads to what we usually think of honesty in, in relationship. And am, am I honest with others? What stands in the way of deep, honest friendships? I just think this is the coolest thing because we just finished the book of Romans. And Paul has something really, really interesting to say on this subject. He says this, For, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think about yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, I used to think that all this verse was about was pride. That this is a warning against pride. You know, stop thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Use sober judgment as you examine yourself. And I, I'm sure that this is uh, an admonition against pride. But I think there's something far deeper and even more significant going on in this verse and that it's a warning against pride. Sometimes we engage in self-deception in how we think about ourselves and it's not always pride that's motivating it. You see, we have a... Uh, tendency to deceive ourselves about ourselves. We have a tendency to define ourselves much more highly than we should. But it isn't always pride that motivates it. In fact, I think pride is a small factor in why we deceive ourselves about our own selves. I think, and it's been my personal experience in my own life, that it has much more to do with the desire to be loved and be lovable. 
It isn't pride to want to be loved. It's humanity to want to be loved. To want to be valued by people. To want to have self-respect. And to want God to think well of you. Sometimes we deceive ourselves out of a desire to be loved and lovable. But Paul counsels us to think of ourselves with what he calls sober judgment. It's a really interesting word. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing. What it's, it, 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 unpa- it unpacks a whole lot of concepts, but here, here are the key ones. Thinking accurately as, as, it, as it really conforms to truth. Be really real about yourself. Think logically. Think rationally. Look at the facts. Be real with yourself as you define yourself. We should use reason to arrive at a very realistic understanding of ourselves, a true and balanced understanding, not too good and not too bad. Is this the way we usually see ourselves? I don't think so. I was up in San Francisco and I was going to teach on this first and uh, I couldn't get it right. Uh, No matter how hard I I looked at it, I couldn't find a way to really explain what I wanted to say. And in the middle of the night, I had a, well, I had a, I don't know what the heck to call it. I woke up in the middle of the night and I closed my eyes and I saw some graphs. And these graphs unfolded, uh, unpacked this whole thing for me in a way that was so exciting. I just, I, I, I said, I got it. I said, do you have, I got up in the morning and called the pastor and said, do you have a whiteboard? And she said, yes. And I said, is it a big one? And she said, yes. And I said, I need it for my sermon because I got something to unpack. And I came home so excited and I made a bunch of graphs on uh, digital and uh, we're going to go through them today because I'm a visual learner. And when I see something that illustrates a point, it gets me really excited. I've oversold this. They're not that great, okay? But they are great to me because I think I got them from God. Okay, so let's fire up the first one. All right, I call this graph a normal life. Can you see it? Can you see it? All right, so look. Life is composed of highs and lows. You see, this low lasted longer. This low was a short one. This low lasted longer. This was pretty short. This one took longer to get back. But we have these, we have these highs and we have these lows. And you see this line down here? It d- disappears at the bottom of the graph. There's a real bad low. Real bad one. Down there somewhere. And above the line is... Pleasure, satisfaction, sense of purpose, a sense of significance. We call this, in our circle, life up here, we call the blessings. And down below the line, there's pain and loss and frustration and self-doubt and self-judgment, low self-worth, etc., etc. And of course... Sadly, life always provides these. We never get to live up here all the time. We live in both. And sadly, I don't know about you, but I've got some 
stuff down here that happened in high school, hint, hint, that I'm afraid to talk about. I'm making a pun on the Kavanaugh thing, okay? Everybody has something in their past that they would really not, don't, they don't want to talk about. And we spend a huge amount of emotional energy seeing to it that we don't go there and we don't remember those things. And we spend a lot of, of, of spiritual energy, emotional energy, mental energy, seeing to it that those things will not come up in our minds as a topic for discussion. And we call this stuff down here, a lot of the time, the work of the devil. You see? Here's the work of God, and here's the work of the devil. Well, once you do that, and you define all this stuff as the work of the devil, guess who has no access to it? Who has no access to it once we define it as the work? God does not have access to it. Because we can easily dismiss it and say, eh, you know, that was horrible, that was the work of the devil. I'm not going to give the devil any credit in my life by looking at it, so I'm just going to focus on all the up stuff and carry on. Let's go to graph number two. Now, graph number two I call the photoshopped me. All right? So, what I do is it's essential to craft an image. We all have my image. It is who I wish I were. Do you understand? Who I want to be. And who I want to be is a construct composed of all my blessings, my successes, and my high moments. And that is the person I present to you. It's like photoshopping because you take a, a digital picture of yourself and you take it home and you put it on your computer and you notice there's a whole lot of things you don't like in that picture. Like, my photoshopped me has hair. My photoshopped me has no bags under my eyes. My photoshopped me is 25 years younger and will remain so forever. And I create my photoshopped me and I print it and I cut it to, as seen on TV, actual size. And I glue it onto a popsicle stick. And I come to church and I hold it up in front of my face. And then you get to relate with my image. Do any of us do that? People, honesty, vulnerability. Do any, have any of us done this? Do, do we define ourselves in terms of all those successes? Do we present that person to the world because we want to be loved and we want to be accepted? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we spend a lot of time doing? I do. Don't we all? Come on. Cop to it. It's what it is to be human. We compose our self-image by collecting our best memories, our most successful moments, and we're put, putting them on display. We tell ourselves that this is who I am. And we project this image to all those around us. 
After all, we want to be loved and valued, so we project the best me I can be. Competent, lovable, likable, smart, funny, attractive, athletic, whatever, it doesn't matter. You take your highs and you present them. Whatever sells, people, whatever sells, that's what we project. And what we're doing is we're photoshopping all the scars and flaws out of the photo. This is the person I wish I were, and so this is the person I project to those around me. And when we come to relate to one another, my image talks to your image. And we call it fellowship. How deep is that fellowship if only half of my life is represented? All right, let's look at graph number three. Well, I mean, clearly, it's obvious. We've decided these horrific, that horrific low is never going to get onto my photo. Well, actually, neither of these. So what we do is see to it that this whole part of our life will never be part of our image. This represents the missing parts of our self-image. We don't include the lows because they represent failure and pain and loss and shame. And remember, they're the work of the devil. So they should never be included in our Christian image anyway. To include these things would only be giving credit to the devil. And why talk about unpleasant experiences anyway? Just ignore them. Forget those memories and dwell on being a new creature. After all, I should never be defined by my failures and losses. That would be a lack of faith. But right away we can see the flaw in the photoshopped me. And the flaw in the photoshopped me is there's no flaws. Because there are no flaws... Now, follow this reasoning. It's, it's important, okay? Because I think the logic is good. Because there are no flaws, the image we are projecting is not true. It's only half-true. And a half-truth is more effective as a lie than a full lie because it has something in it to believe. Because there are no flaws, the image we're projecting is not true. If it isn't true, the relationships we have as a result of that image are also not true. They must logically be shallow. Because they are shallow, they are not satisfying. Because they're not satisfying, we experience our faith is incomplete and not satisfying. Church seems to be missing something. There must be more, but what is it that is missing? How do I get this deep experience that the Bible talks about? What is wrong with this picture? I mean, literally, what is wrong with the picture? Let's look at graph number four. Okay, now, here's what's wrong with the picture. And what's missing here from this graph, because it wouldn't fit, is a super low that goes down about two feet below the edge of the screen. There's, this, there's a real wicked low down there. It's something that I just can't even think about. And it just sits there. 
But you see all these lines going to the other lows? From that super low, there are lines of influence and effect that touch every other low that follows it. So every time I have a particular low, doesn't matter what caused it, but it's low, and I experience pain, loss, or frustration, this unattended low down here, this super low, sends out a message to my brain, the same thing's happening again, the same thing's happening again, the same thing's happening again. It's going to be just as bad as it was the last time. It's going to be really horrific. And every one of those lows is now much lower than it really needs to be. Because it's being affect, affected by that unreconciled, unexamined low down there that we've been spending so much time trying to avoid. So this leads to something really horrible. I'm just going to read this because it's, it's good. Usually we have a few very low lows that we will do almost anything to avoid thinking about. The really bad ones are intentionally buried very deep. The problem, though, is that they are not neutral or inactive. The worst ones wait for another low experience to connect themselves to. The result is that this present low experience now seems much worse than it really is. It feels like that low, 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 low. And this goes on and on with every low experience until we have an undercurrent of depression, doubt, sadness, numbness, and sinking self-worth. But it has another repercussion. That's the internal repercussion. Here's the repercussion. On another level, our relationships become harder and harder to maintain because our false, entirely positive self-image is becoming harder and harder to maintain because it's becoming harder and harder for us to personally believe in because the lows are climbing to the surface. And we now wake up to the fact that we're probably living a lie. Or maybe, worse, waking up to the fact that I'm living a lie is flat out the best thing that can happen in your life. Because then you will say, this isn't working, this is dumb. This is self-destructive and foolish. It's wrecking my relationship with myself, wrecking my relationship with God, and wrecking my relationship with others. What the heck am I doing? I gotta do something to get out of this. It's time to change. That's positive. That's, you know what we could call that honestly? That's God entering in, coming down into the bottom part here and beginning to relate to it and bringing it to the light, hello, so that we get an impulse to do something about it and get real with him and start to look at it and deal with it. That's not the work of the devil. That's God beginning to use those things to bring freedom to us. Here's the, here's the scary thing. Or maybe we never wake up we just go on trying to believe that we're really better than we are. And at this point, listen to me, quote, we are now thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. And it has nothing to do with pride. It has to do with pain.
We have a group of young people that meet with us on Wednesdays and some older people. We meet every Wednesday night. We don't have any agenda. We do a little worshiping and then I say, what's going on in your lives? And people start to talk. It's the best group I've ever been in. We talk about the really horrible stuff. But God gets to be a part of every Wednesday night. There's a level of transparency, vulnerability, and love. It's been decades since I've experienced anything like that. I'm so proud of you guys for the courage that you have to get real. What's the solution? Well, it's really obvious. God knows about all our dark times. And if you'll be honest about it, you learned more and grew more through your dark times than you did through your successes. In fact, when you let God into those dark memories, that ends up defining who you really are because you found him in those dark places and he had a chance to interact with you there and the person you're becoming through facing those things is the person you always wanted to be. People were not defined by our successes, we're defined by our failures. If we let him into them and have the courage to bring them to him so that he can speak into them. And by the way, when we do this, we become safe with our successes. Pride's not a problem when you've faced your brokenness. You just keep seeing it all the time. And his grace becomes so huge. And you find yourself saying, it makes no sense to me that you love me the way you do. It makes no sense to me that you're patient with me the way you are. But I am so thankful for that. I am a broken person, deeply loved. And that grace, the wonder of that grace, has never, ever gone away from me. God knows all about our dark times. Listen to this. No matter how bad they were, he always had a plan to redeem them. There is nothing the devil can do to you that God cannot turn around and do to redefine you. The amazing truth is that if we will face our dark times honestly, we will experience God's hand of blessing through them. What the devil meant 
as a curse, God will transform into a blessing. If we will be honest with him about facing them, we will find his love at work through them. And then we can incorporate them into our self-image and we can begin to experience relationships based on truth. And here's the payoff. We will experience the joy of having nothing to hide and nothing to lose. Nothing to hide, nothing to lose. It was for freedom that he set you free. Freedom is having nothing to hide and having nothing to lose. And this is genuine freedom in our friendship with God and others. It was for freedom that you were set free. So start enjoying getting real. Make sense? Let's just take a minute and apply this. An application just popped into my head. Close your eyes if you would. You don't have to do this, but it's a good thing to do. Close your eyes. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Holy Spirit, would you please bring to our memory one of those things we've been afraid to look at. Just let it rise up. One of those things that is a really low, low. You've been trying to avoid it. It might be in the past, distant. It, it might be yesterday. Doesn't matter. Just, just risk looking at it for a minute. Now we're going to bring it to the Lord. Father, what do you want to say about that? Father, what do you want to say about that to me right now? Now, pay attention to the thought that comes into your mind or pay attention to the image that you see in your mind or pay attention to the emotion that rises up inside of you. Father, what do you want to say about that dark place, about that incident, about that thing? What did he say? Sharing time. (laughs) What did he say about that? 
place you're afraid of. That was then, and this is now, Javier. I've already forgiven you. Javier, does that help? Yeah, I guess. What did he say? Hmm? She loves you. Well, you know what that's about, don't you? And that's huge, because that's what you needed to believe, and that's what you need to know in your life. I know what she's talking about because we've talked about it. So what he just told her made a great deal of sense. What else? What did he say? Yeah. <laughs> you, you did that because you were trying to belong. Guys, that's really profound. Most of what we do, most, a, a whole host of the mistakes that we make were for that reason. We just found our belonging prematurely in the wrong place. But that's what we were hungering for. People don't hunger to go out and sin. People hunger for something they think sin will give them. And then the devil really capitalizes on it by shaming you for the rest of your life for that thing. He doesn't just get the moment of enjoying that you sinned. Oh, no, no. He, get, he gets using that against you for the rest of your life until the Lord comes into that dark place and speaks these kind of truths to you and then the devil's grip is broken and he can't use that against you anymore and that sets you free. That's how freedom works. What else did he say? Anybody else? Cry all you want. Permission, permission to cry and express your sorrow. Thank you, Lord. What else? Anybody else want to share? That is not what defines you. That's so good. Your thoughts define me. You're inside me. When we sing that song and I hit that line, your thoughts define me? Man, that has never, never stopped hitting me as one of the most wonderful lines of a song I've ever sung. I'm defined by his thoughts, not by those dark things. What else did he say? that you're going to learn something entirely new which will be like moving from the darkness to the light. I've been going through a tremendous anxiety lately with something that's going on in my life. And he told me the other morning, he said, when this is over, you'll be free from fear. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. You see, now it's given purpose to the experience. It's not just meaningless suffering or anxiety. Now it has a point that I can grab hold of to get through it. Yeah, I want it to end, but I want the benefit too. 
We have more time. Any questions? Q&A on this subject because it's a very profound and deep thing. Any, any, yeah. Yeah, but very quick. Yeah. Right on. That's wonderful. That's really well put. That's really good. Any questions or comments? The only surprise nobody said, how do I start? (laughs) Well, I think... It's interesting. It, it doesn't. There's no. There's no set deal here because when the thing, the anxiety broke for me, it's because I went and talked to John about it. So sometimes it's talking to a person you can trust, which is always a good thing to do. Sometimes it's starting with just being honest with yourself and saying, I am going to begin looking at these things and and inviting God into it to see what he wants to say, just like we sort of did in this exercise. So sometimes it breaks when you get real with someone, and sometimes it breaks when you get real with yourself, and sometimes it breaks when you start by getting real with God. Because there's three relationships that are affected by these things. So I think the Spirit guides us in that. But getting real shouldn't be an option. I mean, getting real isn't optional. Getting real is the route to freedom. So however you do it, you start and you commit to facing these things. Any comments or questions at this point? Yes. Well, you know, here's the deal. God's always safe, and people aren't always safe. But the problem is that I've found is that, um, I mean, I spent, I spent many empty nights in the middle of the night in a real state of panic and fear, pouring my heart out to God, and didn't get relief. But once I talked to John, I haven't had a panic attack since hasn't been the same guys here's the deal God loves our relationship so much that he will withhold himself directly for what he'd like to do through a person confess your sins one to another that you might be healed you see he, he is so relational he values our relationship so highly that He hears your prayers, but he wants to solve them in a way that doesn't just bless you, it blesses somebody else, and it builds a community of 
vulnerability and truth that becomes so powerful the world looks at it and says, I want that. You see? So sometimes we have to risk with people, but be wise about who you choose. Make sure, you know, make sure you know them and you really believe that they're safe. I'm going to take that as a, as a point of transition. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful message, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. I want to, I want to emphasize that, uh, I don't know what's happening, David. I, I'm just on. Got that bass thing going um, on. I want to emphasize that Mark calling me and him experiencing freedom had, had, had very little to do with me counseling him or having wise things to say. It's really important you understand that because you'll put me into some kind of a professional counselor category, and that's not what happened. Um, Mark popped off on me on the telephone, and I got upset with him. And so then I emailed him and said, that, that hurt, and that offended me. I was just honest with him as a friend. And he fortunately sent back a humble email saying, I'm sorry, my bad, I'm really having anxiety attacks. He could have shot back something. It was risky. He, he could have said, well, you know, you, you have problems or something. Anyway, when I realized my friend was just freaking out, I said, let's go get a burger. So the next morning we went to lunch, and all I did was just let him talk. And he just poured out his heart. And then I recognized maybe some underpinning things like fear. Like, it sounds like fear to me, Mark. What are you afraid of? That was pretty much all I did. And then he just poured his heart out. And then the next day he emailed me and said, I didn't have a panic attack last night. And then the next day and the next day. So friendship was the point there, not a professional counselor. And, and, I, and I, I guarded myself from trying to counsel him and just to listen to my friend. Counseling, counseling me at that point would have done absolutely no good at all. I'd already counseled myself. Didn't do any good. And yeah, you're a better counselor than I am. Well, for me, I am. Well, no, you are. <laughs> and so I wanted to clarify that point. I also want to, Mark, ask you this other point, and this is, I think, important for us to um, not discredit uh, a Sunday morning gathering. You know, last week, the last couple of weeks, I've shown you an axiom, which is the four levels of friendship, uh, f- uh, f- acquaintance, familiarity, camaraderie, and intimacy, right? Acquaintance. Uh, I've seen them from afar. Familiarity, I've shaken your hands a few times. I know who your husband, your wife, and your kids are. Camaraderie, we're on a team together, and we are after the same goal. Intimacy is uh, we spend time together, and you know me. So uh, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, and you can correct me if, if I'm uh, wrong on this, on Sunday mornings, I think there's places of um, appropriateness and discretion. So if I come up here on a Sunday morning and I start telling you about my issues from my childhood, you didn't come to church for that, or out in the lobby, hey, how you doing? It's, it's, it's polite to say, how you doing? It's inappropriate to say, well, let me tell you about those deepest lows I've ever had, and church is going to start in 30 seconds. You see, there are places of appropriateness, and then there's also places of trust. You've got to have enough time to unpack something, and you've got to trust the person you're unpacking it with. So... Mark, you didn't share with the congregation what you shared with me. And in your group, you guys have a depth of vulnerability because you guys have spent time together and you've built trust and it's a smaller group, not a Sunday morning. And then the one-on-one you've had with her telling you what she just said out here. She didn't like display what she was talking about to everybody here in the room, not because we're not good people, but there's a trust factor and there's an appropriateness of the environment that she's in 
but she said enough to, 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 uh, to uh, contribute to the environment. So I just want to say sometimes when we, it's not necessarily we're holding a mask with each other, it's just that it's not the appropriate time and we haven't built the trust level for me to actually tell you my lowest lows and that's okay, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly the way it should work um, and that's wisdom. You know, it's not wise to share the depth of who you are with everybody. That would be foolish. But it's unwise not to share it with anybody. Right. That's also foolish. Right. So, and I think the Holy Spirit's really trustworthy. I think if you say to him, I really need to talk to somebody about what's going on. Holy Spirit, who should I talk to? He'll probably give you a sense of who you should talk to. But just because you pick that person doesn't mean that person's going to pick you. You know, there's a fit on both sides as we find places to be real. But that's details and that's the um, application. The point is, are you going to get real? Is it time to face these things and become free of them? That's, that's really the issue. So what I love about um, your message is wherever the safe place is to get honest and have vulnerability, that's authenticity. Yeah then what that creates is when we do come together on a Sunday morning, there's, we're not posing. Even though we don't talk about our deep stuff, there is a transparency. A, uh, there is a, uh, I'm not trying to impress you. You're not trying to impress me. So there's an air of authenticity about us because we've gotten real somewhere. And we've, we've come to a place of integrity. And, and it changes the atmosphere of your church yeah. or your family or your business environment, or where it is. So it might not be appropriate to be as vulnerable on a Sunday morning, or even in a connect group, but on a one-on-one, or a few, but then that creates a public persona that has authenticity. It's exponential. What happens is, somebody breaks the ice and gets real, and everyone else goes, wow, this is awkward, the first time. But then they think, look, that person got real, and everyone seems to be loving them. Whoa. I can get real, and maybe they'll love me too. And pretty soon, it becomes normal to have that kind of fellowship. And once that happens, man, it's like yeah, heaven on earth. Yeah, Seriously. And then the power comes, because power follows love. You see? Power is nothing but an expression of love. If the love is there, if the love is there, the power will follow. And then you become a place of healing and transformation, and we're over time. Yeah. But so, so God gives grace to the humble. So we're going to ask the prayer teams to come down. And some of you may need some prayer over this point. Or just pray for whatever. Uh, physical body, you need physical healing. Uh, keep coming down. If you have physical ailments, keep coming down. Until Jesus returns, keep coming down for prayer. He'll come back one day. But until then, let's just keep appropriating the, the ways that God has given to us to experience miracles. So... Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for this wonderful message from Mark. Thank you for the gift he is as a teacher to this body. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes and our hearts today. I pray for us all in this body and those listening online or watching online that we will take this message and apply it by getting vulnerable with somebody and getting set free from things that are stopping us from being free. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer teams, please come down.